0: Well let me add my warm welcome to you this morning. Uh, it's great to be worshipping together um, and how great is the Father's love hey? <laughs> it's just wonderful. In fact a great testimony this week. I just want to say thanks to all the people who've been praying for me. Um, I finally finished my last unit of my Masters and I was uh, concerned about how long it was going to take to get marked and find out about and people have been praying for me and then uh, it only took a day and I found out I got through. So I'm really happy about that and I know that um, you know, God looks after us all in different ways but uh, for me that was a really special thing, a sense of God giving me that tiny little blessing uh, to know that that was done and finished and I could put it out of my mind and get on to other things. But anyway thanks again to all those who've been praying for me, I really appreciate that. Uh, but what we're doing this morning is we're coming to look again at the habit of worship. Now, I think this is one of the, the most important habits we can foster in our life because it makes a difference to everything else. Now, this this morning, I don't want to talk about how to worship. So we're not talking about, you know, should I be loud and proud and jumping for Jesus and hands in the air? We're not really concerned about that this morning. You just worship however you like. So if you prefer the, the quiet, um, reflective, respectful worship of God, then you go right ahead and do it. Or, or even if you have a different version, of worship being about community and action and doing things together, if that's what uh, you feel like is worship and honouring God, then you do that. Or, or even if you think like it's just a personal thing between you and God worship, uh, it's very kind of an, an inward journey, then look, you, you go for it. I'm not particularly worried about how you worship this morning. What I want to talk about and what's most important is what we worship. It's what we worship that makes the most difference to our life Um, because what we worship is what we orientate our life to. It's what we kind of reflect on as being successful or not successful. It's where we draw our identity from. It's this idea of what we orbit in our life. It's how we set up our life um, is centered on what we worship And that's why it's really important to actually foster the habit of worship in our life and worship of the one and only true God, which we're going to kind of talk about in a minute. Um, But let me kind of reflect on a little bit of how this actually works when you get off centre, when you worship other things. And some of the common things we see uh, in the world today are things like um, worshipping uh, celebrities. Uh, So you've got this whole thing of someone who's famous, either you worship a famous person or you worship fame. And this whole thing of you orientate your whole life to this So you know everything there is to know about that person You've got posters up in your bedroom or in your house uh, of that person Uh, You go to their concerts or all their films You know everything there is to know uh, about that person So if you worship fame or a famous person Then you orientate all of your life to kind of uh, include that in everything you're doing And it shapes a little bit of who you are and your identity Uh, or another common one is people who worship wealth and this whole thing that they orientate their whole life around how to accumulate wealth and how to protect their wealth it's what their conversations about it's what's running through their minds all the time it's the the reason why they are very wealthy often is because they're always looking for opportunities to increase their wealth in that sense and so when you worship that it orientates your life Uh, But the downside of that is then it actually also shapes everything about how you see your life, uh, your success in life, and how you see yourself personally. Um, some of the more subtle ones and the ones I've observed in Australia too, uh, probably more particular to Victoria, uh, is the worship of sport and the worship of the football and football teams and football players. And again, it's the same thing. It's a little more subtle in the sense that it's kind of not out there and not as open, but that sense of you orientate your life around this stuff. you know you've got little shrines in your house to this sort of stuff. Uh, you've got pictures on the wall, you're always talking about it. Uh, you know all the players, you know all the coaches, you know where they are on the ladder, and so your whole life is orientated uh, around the football or around some sort of sport, and so that can become something we worship, uh, and we see a lot of that in uh, here in Victoria with the AFL. Uh, but then there's other things as well, like success. This is another thing I see a lot of that people worship success, they worship their careers and getting ahead uh, and being good at something, and so they orientate all of their life around it. It fills their mind. All all the time uh, and fills all their time with what they're doing. And then another one that I think is far more subtle but does exactly the same thing uh, is family. So I've, I've also noticed that family can be something people worship, and in fact, a lot of Australians do worship family. Uh, it's the, the central thing uh, that drives their life, and everything they do is orientated around that. Now, in saying all these things, I'm not saying any of those things are bad. You know, all of those things are okay. But if we worship them, if they become the thing we orientate our life to, the thing that's central and that we orbit around, that gives us meaning and purpose and drive in life, then we're worshiping the wrong things. Uh, and I'll get into why that is uh, in a few minutes. Uh, so, again, why why we need to talk about this is worship is incredibly important uh, to who we are, how we live. Uh, and what we prioritise in life, uh, it's how we orientate ourselves in the world. And so that's why we need to talk about this. And And I expect and I want people to be challenged by this this morning because often we don't think we worship other things other than God, but in actual fact we do. Now it might not be uh, something we worship above God, but it is still something we worship in our life and we orientate. And and I know for me particularly um, that surfing is one of those things, that I can get a little bit kind of um, funny about this and if I don't get to surf enough, uh, then I start feeling all fidgety uh, or I'm thinking... planning ahead, how do my how is my week gonna run out? When are the opportunities to get down and surf? Uh, and I know that it can easily become an idol. So I want people to be challenged this morning and to reflect on what are the things that I am worshiping and are they in proper perspective? Are they properly submitted um to the Lord God Lord Almighty, our God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. So why is this so important to do? Let's kind of look at this so the first reason is uh, from exodus 20 uh, and all of you should know this or those who don't um, exodus 20 uh, verse 3 where it says you shall have no other gods before me and so god commands this for us for us uh, and from us that this is the highest priority in our life should be worshipping the almighty now uh, some people who don't really understand this. So, I think about the new atheists um, when they look at this and they think, why would God tell us to worship him and him alone? Is he just some petty, jealous, insecure God that can't cope? Uh, and they kind of people who think that, or if you come to it with that kind of a mindset, you're too shallow. You haven't understood enough about who it is we're worshipping and why we're worshipping um, uh, our God, Yahweh. So, We've got to kind of come to this and see the depth and the richness of it to really understand this thing. It's not that God is petty and kind of insecure. It's because he actually understands us and knows what's best for us. We are worshipping beings. If we do not worship Yahweh, we will find something else to worship. It's just something in the way we are made that we will do that. And God knows that the only thing that is worthy of our worship is him alone, and, and let's have a look at that. Um, I'm actually going to look at Isaiah uh, chapter 45, and some of you will be familiar with this. Uh, but let's have a look at it together. So, if you've got a Bible there, or if you want to follow along on the screen, it'd be great if you could get your Bible out and have a look at this. Uh, you can just pause me for a second, go grab a Bible if you haven't already got one. Uh, I'll look, I look. I always recommend to people and encourage people to get the scriptures out and look because there's always something before it, there's always something after it uh, in terms of the passage that we're reading that actually helps us understand that. And as I've said heaps of times before, if you get bored with me, you can always read the scriptures um, and enjoy that. So let's have a look at this. It's it's Isaiah 45 uh, and we're just looking at 10 verses. So it's a bit of a longer reading um, from 15 to 25. And let's see if we can see why does God command us to worship him and him alone. So let's have a look. Uh, verse 15. Truly you are a God who has been hiding himself, the God and Saviour of Israel. Now I'm just going to stop there for a second because I need to give a bit of context. All right. So what Isaiah is doing here is, is Israel is in exile at the moment. Uh, they've been taken off by the Babylonians and this is probably or what most of the scholars are saying is about 20 years uh, into the exile when this is being written and Isaiah is prophesying the return of Israel back to the land, back to the promised land and to the rebuilding of the temple. And the start of the chapter starts with um, Isaiah calling out Cyrus who is yet you know, 50 years away from uh, this prophecy or coming into power as uh this um not the babylonians um the persians when when he comes into power as the persians um so this is why he's saying uh the thing about being hidden is because israel had thought god had abandoned them that the gods of babylon were more powerful than yahweh and they had overcome yahweh and that's why they were taken off into captivity that that uh, god wasn't powerful enough against these other gods but Isaiah's making a perfectly clear Um, and when he says hiding himself he just means that God has been uh, not revealing himself to the people during this period of time uh, in a in a manifest way uh, that they could understand because God was still at work and uh, that's another story for another time but that's what's going on here and that's why Isaiah is pushing them towards uh, what we're about to see Alrighty, so verse 16 says All the makers of idols will be put to shame and disgraced. They will go off in disgrace together. But Israel will be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will never be put to shame or disgraced, to ages everlasting. For this is what the Lord says, He who created the heavens... He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth. He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in the land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Gather together and come. Assemble, you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. Declare what is to be presented. Let them take counsel together for... uh, sorry. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Saviour. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn... My mouth has uttered it all in sorry, my mouth has uttered it all in integrity, a word that has not been revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. They will say of me in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him come to him and be put to shame. But all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord and will make their boast in him. Alright, so there's an enormous amount going on in this, as as there always is. Uh, But I just want to focus on a few things to draw out of this passage about why it's so important that we come to God to worship and why he would command us to worship him. And the first one is clear and obvious. There are no others. God is the only one to worship. He is the only one worthy of worship. He is the only one that is all powerful, all knowing, all present. It is He who deserves our worship. And so that's the first thing that we see from Isaiah here. He's saying in verse 18, I'm the Lord, there are no others. In verse 21, and there is no God apart from me. In verse 22, for I am God and there is no other. And so we see this repeatedly through the passage that Isaiah is um, writing down here and speaking to the people that there are no other gods uh, crea- and it is God who created the heavens and the earth he is worthy of our praise and worship now of, of course in isaiah's problem in isaiah's time the problem was that they were believing in many gods uh, and they were trying to kind of Um, Bet against who was going to be the most powerful God and put their trust in that God. But Isaiah is saying there are no others. Don't bother with anything else. Only put your trust in God. Now, our problem today isn't uh, a selection of gods uh, and who to trust. Our problem in the West today is we think there is no God um, and that the only person we can put our trust in is in ourselves. And so what uh, Isaiah would want to say to us today and what the scriptures say to us is that We are not worthy of worshipping ourselves. That is not good enough. That, That is not big enough or strong enough. There is only one God that is worthy of our worship, and that is Yahweh, the eternal God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so that's the first reason we need to come and worship, because there is nothing else worthy of it. God is the only thing worthy of our worship. Now, the second thing that Isaiah points out here, and it's something that the, uh, the people of Isaiah's time get immediately. It's a little bit more remote for us today. But this whole thing of we have to give an account to God. See, Isaiah and the people of his day understand this whole thing around uh, a sovereign ruler and power. Right When a sovereign ruler has sovereign power, it's up to them to decide what is right and wrong. It's up to them to decide who lives and dies. It's they who meter out the justice within that kingdom. And so Isaiah understands here, and he's pointing to the people, saying you need to worship God because he is who you have to give an account of your life to. He's the one you're going to have to come up against. And so we get that where it says in verse... 23 that a word that will not be revoked so what god has said about his judgments on the world and what's right and wrong in the world will not be revoked and you may have uh, this passage may actually be familiar to you from the new testament where it says before me every knee will bow and by me or every tongue will swear or in the new testament that uh, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord so we have to give an account of our life to God, and we've got to recognise this. That's why we need to orientate our lives to God. It's He who will tell us what's right and wrong in the world. It's He who will give us the direction and the purpose and the meaning to our lives, and it's Him who we're going to have to give an account of our lives to. In that, you can't come against God. So in verse 24 it says, uh, "In the Lord alone, sorry, in the Lord alone are the deliverance and strength." All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. See... You won't be able to come up against God. You won't be able to overthrow God. So whoever you worship, whatever you worship, none of those things are going to be able to give an account against God. They don't, they're just not powerful enough. They're just not big enough or strong enough. You know, the richest person in the world isn't going to be able to go to God and say, Well, look, I've got 10 billion for you. You know, just accept me as I am, and here's ten billion dollars. You know, I know I've done the things you didn't want me to do, but that's okay. Here's ten billion dollars. It, it's not enough money. It's not big enough. There's not enough wealth in the world to turn God against himself. You just can't do it. And so you've got to recognize that. That's why we have to come to God and worship. And it it comes down to every single thing. There isn't anything you can come to God to, to overthrow him and what he has already said about how the world should be. uh, One of the things uh, a few years ago... um, one of the subjects um, I did as part of uh, this master's, I've just finished, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, <laughs> uh, was, uh, there was one of the books I had to read was about the hiddenness argument, which is a, philo- a philosophical argument against the existence of God. And John Schellenberg uh, is the philosopher who put that forward. And, he's, and he believes that his argument log- logically proves that there is no God. Now, doesn't matter what John Schellenberg thinks. When he gets before God and he says, oh yeah, but I proved you don't exist. What is God going to do? He's going to go, he's going to laugh. He's going, yeah, all right. Well, what are you going to do now? You're standing staring at me. You know, Your logic doesn't make any difference to the God of the universe it is his universe it's his creation he gets to decide what the rules are and what you have to do is you have to come and worship him your logic doesn't make any difference in that and so that's the second reason we need to come and worship God and orientate our life to him because we have to give an account to him in the end it is him who we're going to have to face so that's the second reason now the third thing that we get from Isaiah here is because God is the only one who can save you. He's the only one who can save you from yourself and from your brokenness and from this broken world. No other thing can. And then Isaiah points this out uh, in verse 21 where it says, And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a saviour. There is none but me. And so it's God who will save us from ourselves. Um, Nothing else is big enough, nothing else is capable. So if you turn to all these other things, family, um, success, money, culture, whatever it is that you turn to, none of those things will actually save you. In actual fact, if you worship them and you orientate your life to them, they actually have the opposite effect. They actually end up ensnaring you. They don't save you, they enslave you and so people who orientate their whole life to success and wealth find themselves bound up by it they're always worried about it they're always checking to see if their stocks are going down or up or if their assets um, are improving in value or um, devaluing so it becomes this totally consuming thing because their whole life is orientated to it or if you're worried about your own career and your own success then your whole life gets consumed by that you're always worried about what the next step is You're always trying to improve that next thing. You're always trying to get that right relationship, make that right connection, say that right thing that gets you advanced in your career or succeed in whatever it is you're trying to do. It actually binds you up. Now, I'm not, and again, I want to make this clear. I'm not saying that finances or career or family or any of those things are bad things. But if they become the thing you worship, they actually become the thing that binds you up and determines how you feel about yourself and your life. Um, there's a guy, uh, some of you will know this guy. He's a um, famous YouTuber slash um, Instagramer slash every other social media, um, Gary V. Now, I... Uh, I love what he—he he has this whole approach. Now he's not a—he's a non-religious person, but he's got this whole approach that that he doesn't care whether he's wealthy or not. He—he is very very wealthy. He doesn't care. But what he—he he loves the game of it. He loves the chase of uh, making things work and succeeding at something. And if he fails, he doesn't care. He just says, "Oh well, I failed. I'll do something else." Um. So he doesn't worship finance. He doesn't worship um success. He worships the the whole thing about just being in there, just the game of it, just having fun with it and um, and giving his life to it in that sense. Um, so I'm not talking about that. If you're good at something and it's a talent and God's told you to do it, then that's a great thing. But you're not orientating your life to it. You're or- orientating your life to God and letting him tell you what to do. And the same thing goes with family. I like, I notice this thing of, of people who orientate themselves to having the perfect family um, and it becomes something they worship. It, it actually, your life goes up and down based on how the family's going. You know, you've got this five minutes of perfection like we've got here in this photo shoot. It's a constructed, made-up thing or you know, in today's parlance, you know, your Instagram post. Um, it, it's not a real world. The real world's probably more like this. That, that life is just tough and difficult and if we if we orientate ourselves um, to worshiping God then then that's okay when life's falling apart it's okay because I know that that's not the center of my life the center of my life is worshiping God and in, and again Isaiah points this out when he says ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood who pray to gods that cannot save them and so that's the third reason we need to worship God and God alone and to push all those other things out. They need to be, I mean they can be in your life, but they need to be orientated to what God wants us to do with those things, not them to be at the centre. We need to come back and worship Jesus at the centre of our lives. That way we orientate ourselves to God and our life orbits that um, perfection of God, and we measure ourselves against God. Now, the important thing about that, and what's fantastic about this, this is we actually start to recognise that we cannot compare to God. We can't reach that perfection, and that strangely has a, a, an absolute um, kind of uh, resting and relief sense to us. That because we orientate ourselves to God. And we can't compare to God. He is so other to us, then we give up on trying to compare ourselves to God. And then we just rest in the fact that God has called us to be his sons and daughters and to rest in the fact that we are his children and that he loves us and that we don't have to compare ourselves to God in that sense. Now, there's something good about this as well in the sense that we we don't just give up on life and say, oh, well, who cares about anything? Um, God will look after it. No, we actually have this thing of God gives us meaning and purpose where he calls us to live a life that reflects his goodness into the world. So to become more compassionate, more kind, uh, more generous, more joyful, more open, more loving, and And we can take those incremental steps towards those things knowing that God's goodness can fill us up and help us to take that next little step but because we're not trying to be perfect like God is perfect because he's so other from us we can rest in the fact that it doesn't matter if I fail at this um, in the next step it doesn't matter that I don't match God's perfection what matters is, I am moving towards that, and that's what God is calling us to. Um, and then we get the bonus of, well we get the the actual part of this when we worship God, that because Jesus died and rose again, His forgiveness fills in any of the places where we have gaps, any of the places we fail. Um, Jesus fills that up with His perfection. And that brings a deep sense of peace and rest to our lives. So when we worship God, the true and only God, it actually gives us a proper orientation in our life. It sets us on the journey of what's right and wrong and what we should be aiming our life at. But it also gives us the grace we need to live that out every single day without that becoming something we're enslaved to. And that's the problem of religion. And that was the problem of the Old Testament law, that it became something that enslaved People, because they tried to reach this perfection. But in Christ, when we worship God, we are freed from that enslavement and given the empowering of the Spirit to actually move towards uh, being more and more godly and saving the world from ourselves and saving the world from the brokenness that's in it. So I, I want to kind of bring this all together. I know <laughs> I've spent a lot of time talking about that, but I want to pull it all together here um, and say again, we need to foster these habits of worship in our life. It's the thing that will orientate us um, to what is right, just and good in the world. And when we come to worship, uh, and I don't mean Sunday worship, I mean worshipping God by honouring him for who he is, the almighty, infinite God, the all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing God. God. And when we orientate ourselves to that God, um, then we start to recognize our place in the world. And so we have to practice this habit of doing this. Um, We recognize that we are tiny, fragile, severely limited beings that need to put all our trust in the infinite God. Because that's the only place worthy of it. Everything else is too small. Um, And we need to practice this. And So I kind of want to suggest to people for the next couple of weeks that in the mornings, as soon as you get up, the first time you become conscious of the day ahead is to actually thank God for the fact that through his enabling, through his gift of this world, you have an opportunity to live this day that your fragile life is being sustained by the almighty by the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God and that it's he who will walk with you through the day and if you can just take a few minutes to reorientate yourself in worship and, and that moment of awe of being awestruck by the awesomeness of God and let that be the thing that starts and guides your day and go through the day trying to remind yourself of that as often as you can And then in the evenings, as you're going to bed, to again reflect on the day and thank God for his presence with you through the day and to worship again, to say, God, you are just fantastic, to give me the gift of a day, uh, to give me the breath that I need to breathe, to give me the food that I need, to give me energy that sustains me. Uh, And you can do this with all the things through the day. As you're driving along, if you can just be conscious of what's going on around you, uh, even the fact if you can feel a steering wheel in your hand or the handlebars of your bike if you're riding, those things, if you can feel that and remind yourself that it's God who provided the materials for these things. It's God who provided the human intelligence to design and make these things function. It's God who provided the human ability and the labor to actually manufacture and produce these things. Um, And they are all at the hand of God that I've received these things. And we can start to worship um, God in, in the moments of the day and orientate ourselves to him. So, at the end of the day, thank God for the things that have gone on during the day. And then again, as you're going to sleep, thank God that it's in His care that you rest. And if you can kind of do that and, and practice this habit of worshipping God um, every day, you'll start to discover something about the rest and the peace that comes from worshipping God. And so. Let me finish with that and let, me, uh, get, let us go back to that uh, first passage of uh, Exodus 20 verse 3 where it says, I am the Lord your God, have no other gods before me. That is the basis on which we worship and we need to do it every day. It's a thing that will change the way we live. Let me pray. Father God, I want to thank you again that you are the Almighty. That you are all present, all knowing and all powerful. It is you who we have to give an account of our life to. It is you who can save us from ourselves and from this world. And Father, we want to thank you for that. And I want to pray for each of us Father, that we might foster this habit of worship every day. You are worthy of it. You call us to it. And we are the beneficiaries of it when we do. And so I pray for each of us this morning that you will remind us each day that by your Spirit, you'll remind us and give us that that uh, inclination to come to you and worship. Yeah. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. righty, Thanks, everyone.